This is a Strategist, episode 1269. My name is Zane Velger. With me, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan. Guys, what's up? Corey, go ahead, please. Hey, thanks so much. Hey, really are you? I just had some ice cream, and now I'm a little chilly, and my nipples are hard. So... <laughs> like you're just, you just. I shouldn't. You know have, I shouldn't this, have done this podcast. It. Isn't for the faint of heart. I shouldn't right? have done you just, that. that you get mistake. rid of the people who aren't ready for it, who aren't up for and it. I, I've always, I've always called it. it the three minute purge up front. That's why we do this. We get rid of those that can stomach oh. the talk about airlines or condiments uh, or Carter's um, once vague, now very direct sexual references. <laughs> but they you know they actually did this with house of cards you know how that it opens with like the killing of the dog yeah they said that that was necessary because otherwise people might be really disturbed by the show later on and so they wanted to kind of get people off the bus if if it wasn't their bus if it wasn't going to take them where they wanted to be i mean the ultimate way that they did that was that they cast kevin spacey but yeah no yeah, I mean, I, point the, taken the, like i mean I think yeah. the main way the main way was was by casting him but um uh, yeah. po- point taken, Corey. Uh, also, the intro very long. Uh, it was yeah, a lot, yeah. lot of lot Great of song, late night yeah. glamour shots of Washington. Uh, and if anyone's been to Washington, oh, there's maybe three. It. There's about three glamour shots of Washington. Everything else hey. was that was, that was AI. <laughs> Corey generated. And I went Carter. to Washington and and got and wrote yeah. the yeah. segways to together. There. It was a, yeah, yeah, yeah we that's did. That was great. I mean, that sounds that like a, a before time. time. Just two. It really men wasn't before time. Just right. like side by side, luxuriously taking segways in not their nation's capital. That couldn't happen. Yeah. today. <laughs> that's a it's a before time. It's a good time. It's a before time. Picture of me on my phone. It was great. It's a great time. What happened to Segway and why? Um, I th- yeah, okay. It wasn't because the guy drove himself off of a cliff. That was not true. That was never true. So, Corey, it's a it's a you was question. That, I feel like you you should have inside knowledge on what, why Segways just never say. You know what? Wait, they they weren't artificially success. intelligent. That's the reason. The Segway story is interesting, and I know you don't actually care, but there was all this hype before it came. This was going to be this world-changing uh, method of transportation, yes. and it kind of just seemed silly. And so it became a bit of a punchline. And even though the technology is pretty cool and it had a lot of practical uses, between its launch and Paul Blart Mall Cop, I think that was the death of the Segway. Just goes to show you, you got to watch out for Kevin Hart. Yeah, you're right. James. You're, you're Kevin right. James. Yeah. Kevin Sun. Yeah, you're wow. Two very different. <laughs> They're very easily mixed up. <laughs> uh, both <laughs> mediocre very at what easily. they do, but very oh, different. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The and the, the answer to Corey is yes. I wasn't interested. Let's move it on to our first segment. Our first segment. Do you even tech, bro? Carter, we're talking about our favorite AI company. You know what it is. You know which one it is. Canva. Oh, Carter. Canva. Wow. Canva's Carter. Dip, dipping their toe in the AI space. They're not our favorite. They're not our favorite AI company. Oh, they're just not yet. our favorite. I mean, they are our sponsor. They are our sponsor, but I mean, it's it's a bit of a stretch, yeah. Corey. It's a promo bit of a code Dave forty five. Promo code yeah. Dave forty five. You can get forty five days of them them doing. No, no, no. no hold thing. on. Yeah. Go ahead. What? What? Yeah. You can't subject the patrons to this. Yes, that I would can. make it an ad in the episode. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, well, they I don't can't. even know. There's a whole group of listeners of ours. There's a whole group that don't know that we debase ourselves for Canva on a weekly basis. Here's and Google. If we they had the option. <laughs> I feel like they're missing yeah. out. This is actually it's so funny because the ads, I feel like, are part of the show. And now they're missing out. And these are the people that want and that are access for to every show. part of the show. Yeah, yeah no. I feel yeah, like I feel point. like we <laughs> patrons now on, it's a decree. They get more ads. They get more I ads than the regular to your Canva read. Make it happen. I listened to your Canva read last week, Zane. Whew. Oh, maze. Yeah, I good. was like, 
Over the moon. Yeah. So good. I did one of them I mean, with you. I know, but that's what I'm comparing Zane's to. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're talking about Canva we talking and AI. About? That's what you were starting to say. Oh. Can't. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's, you it? want to take over the episode there? It's, it's fine because I, I have a whole track. It is not. What are we talking about, Corey. We're talking about our different AI company. We're talking about OpenAI. Corey, have you heard of it? Oh, I like OpenAI. Yeah, I do. I, I consult in this space sometimes, Zane. I've heard of the OpenAI. Yes. They're good people. Stop plugging, stop plugging your, your frequent or infrequent <laughs> consulting in this space. Don't do that, Corey. Don't do that. That's, this is not the platform for that. This is only a platform for one thing, which is Canva and Canva for Teams, okay? Uh, and maybe one day, okay. Douglas. Uh, uh, anyways, Carter, <laughs> Carter, we're going to talk about OpenAI yes. because they have had quite a... Um, a weekend. They have gotten rid of their co-founder CEO, someone who has spearheaded, uh, without exaggeration, Carter, it's fair to say, billions of dollars of valuation for this company. I don't even know if I can call it a company. Maybe it starts there in terms of our examination. This nonprofit that governs a company that was not supposed to make money but has now got profit caps on it. Anyways, the CEO is gone. He's now potentially coming back. There's a lot to talk about as it relates to like strategy, as it relates to governance, as it relates to overall vision and direction, frankly, leadership. So this is where I want to go. This is a non-political topic that might quickly turn political, uh, but it has uh, all the the necessary ingredients to make a successful strategist episode. Uh, Corey, do you agree or do you disagree fundamentally? I can't tell by how you're looking at me right now. I mean, I, I think I agree. There's a lot of interesting things going on with this. And I think Sam Altman both made some very poor strategic decisions in the past, which we should unpack. And he's made some, what, at least on Sunday night at 9 p.m. Mountain Time, which is the the proper time zone in Canada, yeah, uh, made what looks like some very savvy decisions. And while we still don't know where this is going to end, I think one of the cool things he's done is he's set up some optionality for himself. And he's gone from like a no-win situation almost to a no-lose one. And big assist from that board, but... Uh, but really, really been interesting to well, watch for the past 48 hours. Carter, I'll come to you in a second. Corey, uh, since I've heard you infrequently consult in the space, can I ask you to give us an understanding of of what you find interesting about this particular case study or this live wire case study as it relates to the content we so commonly discuss on this podcast. For me, I've laid out a few, including, and I haven't added, just a communication cycle back and forth and how a large social following can really drive a narrative. Um, you know, the media yeah. leak side of things are interesting, but what interesting sort of topics do you find in this current sort of last 72 hours between Friday and tonight um, that, that you, you, you would want to maybe perhaps unpack on an episode? So I'll throw a few on the table here. One is the governance, which you alluded to, of OpenAI is super weird, right? It was yeah. this nonprofit group that then created a for-profit company. That for-profit company provides a certain amount of profit to its investors, which include groups like Microsoft. But anything above a certain cap goes back to this nonprofit. This nonprofit has board members that don't have any ownership stake in kind of like the for-profit components of the business. And in fact, we're designed to be kind of a safety uh, you know, breaker, right? And um, and that clearly is not really working well in practice because the minute this happened, uh, a bunch of people made a bunch of phone calls and now it looks like that entire thing's going to be reversed and there might be a new board. So I think that's interesting because it, it's almost a mini case study in itself about how like you can say you do these things, 
But clearly, OpenAI is not actually running in this way anymore, regardless of what happens over this weekend. And so it becomes a little bit phony, and I wouldn't mind unpacking that. Maybe I'll leave that there. The other one, though, is uh, so Altman's out, and all of a sudden, there is a clear pressure campaign. I think some of it's organic and some of it he helped along. There's a lot of talk about how he immediately started conversing with Microsoft about this thing or the next thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but he created, you know, a groundswell of stakeholders pushing back on this board to try to change the outcome. But concurrently, he started exploring the idea of maybe he'd start his own AI company. And even just by putting that out there, I think, A, put pressure on open AI, but B, he could actually do that. And he could kind of flip the script on these things and perhaps create a for-profit company that he himself could benefit in significantly. So I think that's really interesting. And then there's this one in between, the hinge point that is the board meeting. And there's been reporting on this, which uh, you know also could be part of the media leak strategy, really well done by him if it is, where it's been leaked that he's really mad at himself for losing connection and control with the board, like that he didn't put the care into the board. The board was much bigger at the start of the year. People left the board for various reasons. The board became six people from nine, became four after the two left, uh, you know, Altman and the, and the president. And um, and he said, like, I didn't put the care and tending into the board that I needed to do. And that's really interesting to me, too, because that's an interesting point about strategy as well. How you sometimes get fixated on things, but the people who are actually running the scoreboard, maybe they don't care about the things you're fixated in. And it's a, it's a lesson in audience, I suppose. I, I like a few of these topics. I want to start with the first one, Carter, if that's okay with you, which is yeah. just this broader concept of um, we have seen the, the, the politics of effective altruism, of capitalism without its sharp edges, of this like unbridled, I don't need ownership or upside in the company, I'm just doing good uh, for the world, right? And I'm simplifying a lot of Altman's and for some background, right? Sam Altman has made a shit ton of money. This was an initial Y Combinator guy, found a tremendous amount of upside, you know, was part of what many would argue the tech bro revolution of growth at any cost, right? You know, who cares about revenue? Just grow. We need one of these companies to hit. You dominate the market, you dominate an industry, you create a new vertical, like all these sort of things that we've heard over the course of the last number of years. This guy has made a boatload of cash in that era. And this, while an innovative technology, I don't even know if we've mentioned, we may have that the OpenAI is the parent company of ChatGPT, which is why it's so interesting because of their massive user growth, user sort of pay base that they also even have on the revenue stream. But Carter, the concept of the anti-Elon, the the concept of the person who is going to just be in a space to kind of advocate for it, to be on the front edge or the cutting edge, but using the the instruments available for capitalism and business to drive this change and to do it morally and ethically. Um, Corey makes an interesting point that maybe the revelatory nature of this conversation that we've had over the past number of days is that that doesn't necessarily exist in modern business, even if there are massive attempts to try to correct it or shape it or navigate it in that direction. Your thoughts on that before we before we jump into some of the strategy pieces there? Yeah, I think that this is this is something that we struggle with all the time. I mean, th- there are forms and functions for things, and and we've talked about it even in the political context where we talk about, you know, the board of directors versus the leader's office, right? Like, how do we uh, ensure that there's the right proper 
um, power mix between these organizations, between these various structures that have been created. Um, and, and it's difficult because, um, you know, we have, in the same way that we have leaders that are very, very powerful, we also have founders that are very, very powerful. And um, the board of directors of these organizations, um, you know, they often get distracted by, you know, as they're going through the process is to try and figure out what it is that they should be following. What are the things that they should be chasing in order to make sure that it is a better company? And so we've seen corporations kind of get off track or by following the, the quarterly returns and not investing into uh, longer scale or longer, or, uh, you know, bigger scale, bigger, bigger paybacks. Those those are the challenges of any organization, right? Like if you choose to, to subvert yourself to single metrics, you wind up in really difficult challenges. And I think this is where we struggle with, with open AI. The altruism thing doesn't make sense either. I remember there was a guy, I don't know if you guys know him, Samuel Bankman Freed, um, who uh, also had this big idea of, of altruism and uh, wound up. I, I think uh, I think he nailed like it. Eight billion, oh, I think he nailed it. Eight billion dollars. A little a hundred percent different, but keep talking. But but didn't actually steal it because they're all going to get their money back. Anyways, my point is this: the 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 reasons and rationales for running a company um, are perverted all the time. Right. They are perverted when it is to generate just a simple feedback, you know, to, to grow at all costs, like you said, Zane, or to uh, generate the most positive cash flow for the investors, as we see so many times from other organizations. Uh, we're watching the oil and gas community uh, just, you know, not worry about climate change, just trying to maximize profits. All of these things are perverted in some fashion. And this one with OpenAI just seems to be a, a another example of trying to create something that makes the most you know makes sense for society, but that ultimately doesn't work. Cool. It's, it is interesting to me. Like the equivalent in our political world is is those folks that say we're going to do politics different, right? You know, like it's you know the vehicles exist this way, the track is set, we're going to do things differently. And I'm not trying to undercut the entire sort of like CSR elements of business or this you know multi dimensional stakeholder stuff of, of of business as we talk about. But Corey, your thoughts on this as we, as we kind of like dissect and get a peek into open AI in this like rare vulnerable you know weekend moment of kind of being like what actually is going wrong in this business for but which for any other purpose is a rocket ship in its growth and its market capitalization from a pure capitalist perspective well look uh like in the political world people need to stop telling these fairy tales uh you say you're not coming after csr and multi-stakeholder capitalism i am it's fucking bullshit it's nonsense that's not the way incentives <laughs> run in a free market like this it's marketing it's just marketing at the end of the day it's marketing to consumers it's marketing to employees it's just fucking marketing wake up grow up these people do not care about you. These organizations do not fucking care about you. Somebody has said there's a niche I can fill over there if I tell people that I'm donating $1 for every X dollars I get. And I'll get those customers. And the customers who are more price sensitive, they'll go to the company that's going to outsource everything offshore to child labor and everybody wins and I don't give a fuck and the stakeholders are happy. And this is not a conscious conversation people are having. This is the market at work. It's a feature. And you are telling yourselves you're living a good life because some corporations are making decisions that you deem to be right. You want corporations to be better? Don't wait for them to be better. Pass a law. Make a regulation. 
you've got to put rules around these things because otherwise people will go to the limit they're allowed to and probably even a little bit beyond somehow. So that's the end of my rant about corporations here. Next thing I want to say here. It is really interesting to see how this this organization was set up, this board, which by the way, Elon Musk, you talked about the anti-Elon. Elon Musk was one of the people who helped set up OpenAI and nobody was more mad than Elon Musk when <laughs> OpenAI became a for-profit organization. Like he called uh, Sam Altman in and basically said, you have absolutely betrayed this vision that we set together. So yes, yeah, so, and just here's a- the, the, the background there, and Corey, you, you may want to help me fill it, was uh, OpenAI was going to kind of be the the moral arbiter, nonprofit that, that kind of had a That's technology right. base under it. Sam Altman, the board directors do not get shares directly from uh, OpenAI and its upside that it was having from a pure market capitalization perspective. Um, And then Altman kind of did a minor pivot, uh, which included taking investment from Microsoft and other organizations, but had a profit cap rather than a nonprofit motive, which um, for anyone who's ever sat on a board of directors of a nonprofit, if your CEO comes to you uh, and says that we're going to actually have a profit cap, um, despite, you know, and even brushing aside what laws that might be breaking, it's a fundamentally different model and is a fundamentally different structure, one might argue, in terms of what it's trying to promote. That's some background. Well, yeah, sure. And and I mean, I I just played the cynic for a minute here. But like to be fair, one, part of the logic at the time was this is a space that requires massive injections of capital to be relevant. And so if we get the money from groups like Microsoft, which allow them to benefit from a technology mm-hmm. that we are going to create ethically right? That we are going to build in an ethical fashion. Well, then everybody wins, right? And we'll make sure that a lot of this money funnels back into this nonprofit and allows us to take on a lot of like the governance work and the non-glamorous work that needs to occur in artificial intelligence in order for it to be a safe technology down the road. So this was kind of the logic. It was a cake and eat it too kind of argument that occurred here. But what's clear now, after this weekend, after this pressure campaign from Microsoft and from all of the other investing groups here, but most predominantly Microsoft, is like the board is not actually in charge. Because the minute this occurred, despite the fact that Microsoft has no seats on the board, not even observer status on the board, Microsoft found out apparently minutes before Altman was fired. Um What happened next was Microsoft called, and I have no doubt a version of the conversation was you're not getting another penny from us and we're going to pull out any money we haven't already fully committed here if you continue down this path. And that plus employee pressure saying, we actually kind of liked what Sam Altman was doing. It just made the board realize that they were out entirely on a limb. You know, the Wall Street Journal had some interesting reporting that the board of of OpenAI they didn't have any lawyers, any communications people out on the ready because they assumed OpenAI's lawyers and communications people would just do this work for them. But they didn't because they were actually on Team Altman here, right? Which actually also tells you something else about this board, which it was foundationally, foundationally detached from the work that was going on at OpenAI. So, you know, their criticism that there's not kind of forthright communication between Altman and the board, maybe some truth to that if they're so removed that they don't even understand where the employees would be, but clearly misread the situation. There's there's so many interesting lessons on board governance, which I think apply to like the broader political world and the broader leadership world. But Carter, I want to throw a few things on the table just for your reaction as it relates to some of the lessons that we are seeing, not just over this weekend with Sam Altman and and open AI, but just broadly in terms of leadership. And one of them is 
we talk in politics, Carter, about leader-centric politics, that it's all about who's at the top. Yeah. It, it seems like we're back to that era again. Corey, you might argue from your perspective that we've always been in that era where the cult of personality, if not the personality and in that individual leader, can drive so much of not just the narrative, but a company's value, that it is like we're almost in this aligned age between our politics and our business, that, that this cultural moment is at the apex of people, rather than the fact that OpenAI, even the day Sam Altman leaves, still has its market capitalization uh, and, and upside, but we're very much in a, in a leader-centric world. You're curious to hear your thoughts on that, Carter. Yeah, I'm- well, I mean, I think that it, it basically boils down to something I talk about quite frequently, and that is characters and story. Um, when you have, you know, when Steve Jobs returns to Apple, um, he is, you know, the founder returning to to resurrect the ship and, and take us on the right direction. Um, you know, Lee Iacocca gets hired to turn around Chrysler. Um, there, there are many different examples of these uh, larger than life characters that are invited into to manage companies and deal with companies that create um, a story and a character structure that we understand and we can root for. Um, that is one of the very successful elements of, of of developing the brand of these organizations because we you know we live in a world of brands, right? Like brands are are something that are super important to our society. And and I'm going to just use that then to bridge off and talk a little bit about what's important to our society, because Corey kind of touched on this. And I want to just make it perfectly clear. We had this idea, and I'm not sure that it begins with Reagan, with Reaganomics. I'm not sure that it begins with Adam Smith, you know, with the with his with his thoughts about, you know, the how economics works. But I think that in general, there have been these beliefs from time to time that we can allow corporations and organizations to, through a laissez-faire marketplace, take care of us in society because it will help us in society and our and, and organizations can have society's best interests at heart. And the reality is that sometimes even individuals don't have society's best interests at heart. We don't have society's interests at heart. It is up to society to have society's best interests at heart. Corey mentioned rules and regulations, and I think that that's where we have to keep coming back to. Tax people, tax corporations have clear sets of rules and expectations, whether they're they're about pollution, whether they're about corporate governance. I mean, we've hedged around this idea about even the nonprofit and and whether or not it's, you know, 100 percent. I'm going to I'm putting this word in in, uh, quotations legal. Um, it certainly is unprecedented. It's, you know, nonprofits aren't designed to house um, uh, organizations that make money. That's just not how they're supposed to be designed. So it's it's a recipe for trouble because you're, do, you're using the wrong instrument for the wrong outcome, which is so often the case when, uh, you know, government abdicates its responsibilities. You know, I mean, I, I think ultimately I'd summarize my view as, make laws for the things you need corporations to do and accept they're going to do whatever they can to maximize profit within those constraints. I fucking love corporations. You know, I'm an MBA. I, I, I love the market at work. But be honest with yourselves about what the market does and what the market actually cares about here. Yeah. And if you actually want people to do things, pass a law, pass a regulation, because otherwise somebody will always find the market at the floor. They will. That's just how it works. Well, so can I can I pick up on this? Because I, I don't know if we've ever explored this with the intersection of like political organizing and political sort of values, Carter, which is how should political entities, and let me just choose the left here for, for the natural purposes that you'll find shortly, how should they deal 
to Corey's point, if they buy into that thesis, how should they deal with business? One of the criticisms that the political left, especially in this country, often faces is that they're not friendly for business. Corey ultimately here is saying, listen, he likes corporations, and I'm not labeling you as someone on like the, the left, Corey, but I'm just saying, like, let's make put your argument out there and then let's attach it to the political left sort of thing. If you like corporations, but you also want to regulate them heavily, um, how, what is like the modern day argument or relationship or entanglement, so to speak, um, that, that the political left and progressives should have with corporations? How should they deal with them, Carter, from a rhetoric perspective? How should they deal with them from a, a pure sort of policy perspective? Also knowing that progressives, especially in this country, and let me even narrow down even more to this province, have to get the mandate there that's available, not a perfect mandate where they can kind of have Puritan views on on everything, including, you know, how, how the capitalist system works, so to speak. I'm kind of curious to explore this for a bit. Well, I mean, just don't accept the, the idea that um, rules and regulations aren't necessarily corporate friendly. I, I think that there are corporations that understand that um, – Good regulation, good regulation, and and good regulation doesn't mean less regulation. Good regulation means clear, understandable, and enforced regulation um, is good for business, right? I think that that's one of the things that people have often asked for. When those corporations stood up and and stood beside Rachel Notley and said that they supported the carbon tax, one of the reasons that they stood up and said that is that they thought that everybody should be in, in, in the carbon tax place, not just people who produce significant amounts of carbon intensity through corporate activities. Um, those were clear and understandable objectives. It doesn't mean no regulation. There's no world in which no regulation exists except a bad one. Um, corporations need to be, you know, you don't have to accept their narrative in, in any way, shape or form. It's bad. The other thing is it's, it's incumbent upon people to figure out where the regulation is and work to the edge of that regulation, whether you're a corporation or you're a political party or whatever the situation may be, the working to the edge of the regulation is, is how you maximize opportunity. I often see the left, specifically the left, discerning that they're going to be in some way uh, better than uh, other political organizations by following rules that don't exist. Mm. Uh, you know, I think of Nenshi's desire to 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 follow rules that didn't exist around uh, fundraising. Um, you know, interesting, but I'd rather win. Uh, I'd rather win. And if that means that, you know, because winning means you can change the rules. Losing because you're following a set of rules that doesn't exist just means that you're weaker and you've weakened society. So I think that corporations have a, a responsibility to do that for their shareholders. And I think that, um, you know, political organizations have the responsibility to do that uh, for their voters. Corey, you, your thoughts on the relationship of the political left and corporations, if you were to accept your premise um, that you've kind of put out there around CSR uh, and all this other sort of stuff being a bunch of marketing bullshit in your in your mind. And, and weave that in for me before we kind of get to the lessons that OpenAI has taught us this weekend. Yeah, well, I think it starts in not denying that markets are a real thing. And, yeah. and way too They're often important. you... You see in in rhetoric around the left, like this notion of, well, that's that's not true. I'll raise a tax and it won't make a difference. Everybody will still stay here. It won't affect profits. They're still going to make money, so they're still going to be here. 
That's not actually how economic decision-making happens here. So here's a couple of basic rules that I would suggest for somebody who wants to take kind of a pro-market approach here with a progressive bend. One is just set the floor for behavior. Um, don't drown them in red tape. Find very specific things that you want to address and, and say, these are the expectations. It's not a thousand of them, it's 10. And here's the 10 that I require you to do. Don't ask them to donate. Don't ask them to step up or be good corporate citizens. That's bullshit. That's actually an out for them. Tax them and spend that money on social priorities. Acknowledge that differences between markets do drive economic decision-making, so you need to collaborate and coordinate with jurisdictions to reduce those differences. That means going to the table with other provinces, trying to knock down provincial trade barriers, trying to make sure that when you are working with other jurisdictions, you have collaborated to the point you can and then designed your policy not to put your companies at disadvantage relative to those competitors. There's lots of work that's been done in this space. I'm not going to go down that hole really deep, but we do this all the time. Uh, we do this with the carbon tax. Uh, tie free trade to labor rights is an obvious one, but be clear at the end of the day, not all economic activity is good economic activity and just be really transparent with businesses. But ultimately go back to my first point, like don't deny market behavior. Like, you know, at, at the end of the day, you can say, I understand that would make more economic profit. I still don't want to do it. But like, just sit there and say, I don't believe that will not change mm. things is ridiculous. And it's just kind of a denial of certain economic facts that have been proven, as Carter said, you know, since the days of Adam Smith, like have been known since the days of Adam Smith. So Carter, reflect on this and then tell me about the opposite argument. When when, when in the media you see, if you believe this, right, if you're like ingesting this as a political belief and saying, okay, I'm not going to deny that the market exists. I'm not going to try to be like anti-business about it. I'm going to use the power of, of laws, regulations, et cetera. Carter, I love your point about clarity, not so more so volume. I think that's a really sharp uh, point uh, that yeah. you made. But how would you then politically and strategically react if that is your belief going forward to, to when corporations maximize profit, right? Because I think the other side of it is when you see the rich Krugers of the world, let me point him as an example, at Suncorp, being like, we're going to get back to basics. Fuck all this other stuff that we've been doing, effectively acknowledging in different sort of casing, Corey's point being like, it's a bunch of bullshit that wasn't giving us money back into our pockets. And we're just going to do the thing that puts money back into our pockets. How should you then react if you're like accepting Corey's premise? You want to jump in on this first, Corey? Go ahead. Well, yeah, because I wasn't on the episode where you guys were talking about Rich Kruger and Carter, you were shitting down his throat. I, I wish I had been throat. there. This is what I say, actually wanted to Rich go back Kruger's, to. Rich Kruger's not wrong. It's yes, not his job to do that shit. It is not his job to do that shit. And he's going to be at an economic disadvantage if he attempts to. You know what should happen? A law should be passed that requires him to do those kinds of things. Taxes should be levied that give government the ability to do those kinds of things. And the notion that you're going to rely on the goodwill of a random corporation to do things is childish. It is just childish. And it's buying into a fantasy of capitalism that you don't need. Nobody needs. Yeah, Carter, I think that it's the active on our behalf because I have, I'll, say, yeah, it's, it's, I'll say I'm continually act, confused about this because I, I don't know yeah. how to act beyond the moral outrage, which is like, that's so fucking stupid, the climate, you know, like all that sort of stuff. But, you know, if you're buying Corey's premise, I'm curious to hear your response. Well, I mean, I think that the, the problem that I see with that, Corey, is that the rich Krugers of the world, the ones who are, who are out there saying, you know what, I understand what you're trying to achieve, but I'm going to actively work against you. And that's really what he was saying is, no, is that... Not. 
I, I recognize that your average, you know, that, that, that this is what we're trying to achieve, but I'm going to just maximize shareholder value, um, by, by just kind of digging deep and, and trying to get the last gasp of, of success out of this instead of investing in longer term, more successful ventures. I mean, that's basically what he was saying. So, I, I think he was being an asshole. I think that he was ignoring the fact that there are great returns to be found in in renewable markets. And that those that's, returns are being that's found fine. everywhere. And shareholders can make that decision and they can sell their shares but, in this in this very specific vertical that Rich has decided to build and they can buy shares in the in the uh you know renewable space Corey, if me, they but, want but, to. But, okay, but Corey, there is one place that I agree with Corey, and that is that the, the uh, one of the unfortunate pieces of feedback of a market-based solution like the carbon tax is that it has certain failures. There will be people who are willing to pay the price. There are, you know, there are people driving around my street all the time with their black smoke coming out the back of their fucking cars because they don't care how much it costs for gas. They got money in their pockets, the money in their jeans, and they're prepared to spend the dollars in order to make whatever their point is. So I think that that's one of the challenges with market-based solutions as opposed to actual regulation-based solutions. So I I partly agree with Corey, even though I really don't want to. What would you what would you say as it relates to like the political rhetoric here, right? So there's like the policy side of it, which you've like been like in your case, you think you know this guy's right to maximize profit, so to speak. But you know, what do you think of like the bully pulpit that is rhetoric, um, or or the the persuasion mechanism that is rhetoric? Perhaps that's a better way of saying it. In order to convince capitalism to go and keep on this track that society, you know, may, may suggest is going to be, we're going to see more of. And OpenAI and, and, and Suncor are two very different examples, to be absolutely clear, right? Like, they might be Very different good. sides of the coin sort of thing, right? Like, I don't know. Uh, one sure. trying to them, do something amazing. that is perhaps <laughs> fundamentally should be a for-profit enterprise, but trying to case it in this sort of altruism movement, going even further beyond a B Corp, putting into a non-profit shell. And then, of course, another, which is a for-profit company saying, we're going to actually strip away all the non for non-profit, uh, not not for-profit elements within our, our institution, but on rhetoric, Corey, where would you say you would go if you're the political left on rhetoric against capitalism and big business? Because it's all over the place right now, right? And you're seeing some deny that capital, like that, that America or North America should be a capitalist institutions uh, or an institution writ large. Others go after the regulation argument that you are. Others just say, you know, if we can get iterative improvements to improving capitalism, let's do that. Where would you be on the rhetoric for political gain right now? For political gain, yeah, I don't. I mean, one of the challenges, it just globally on a million issues is what is going to be politically advantageous is probably not great policy, and you are never going to go wrong, frankly, by taking rounds out of unpopular billionaires, you know, the plut- the plutocrats of the world, and um, and and frankly, there, it's been some rapacious behavior, so it's not very hard to understand why that would be the case, but. You have a situation where if you're a left-wing politician and you want to score some cheap points that will have resonance with people across the spectrum, you know, talk about big business owners, talk about, you know, big capital. And, you know, again, given, you know, so there's an irony here. I've been thinking a bit about this in the Mm. past couple of days. I'll just try to unpack it a bit and say, I don't really quite know that either A, this is particularly unique of an insight or B, it, it gives anywhere to go from here. But one of the challenges right now, I think, on kind of like policy versus populism is that policy-wise, 
these things work, right? Capitalism works for maximizing profit. Central banks work. Vaccines work. All of these things work. Like a number of things work. But at the end of the day, for a lot of people, their life isn't working. Like they're feeling these things are kind of slipping away. And so when somebody comes and says like, yeah, it's the central bank, you know, fuck them, right? Like we, what we need is like Bitcoin and that's going to solve all of our problems here. Well, it's true that central banks work, people are feeling like they're not working for them. So they've become very nihilistic about policies that make an awful lot of sense. And so I pick on central banks because it's like, you know, crazy right-wingers often go after central banks. But I'll say, you can make the same argument with corporations. Left-wingers like to pick on corporations, which work. They are wonderful at maximizing profits. They are wonderful at maximizing efficiencies and sort of, you know, like think about the things that exist in our world that cost pennies that five generations ago would have cost fortunes, you know, like Mm. they, they work, they do work, but they're not working for everybody right now. And they've allowed the benefits to go to too few people. And so that's a big challenge. And that's kind of the policy populism challenge here. But if you're on the left, you sit there and you see that and you say, yeah, like if, if we're talking about benefit, not going to people, that's where all the benefits going right now. They're a pinata. You can beat the hell out of them and you're going to be pretty popular for it. But at the end of the day, some of the solutions that become inherent in actions like that, I think are very dangerous to economic well-being overall, which is why we've somehow got to reverse all of this madness. And it does start with making sure that we all share more broadly from the benefits of these things. Carter, uh, if folks are still listening at the 34-minute mm. uh, mark, we should probably let them know that we did a full hour on the Albert NDP name change, if that's what they, if that's, that's the content they came here for. I mean, a smart host, a competent, yeah, I mean, a it, capable host would have probably said that in the first 30 seconds, um, plug in the Patreon. But Carter, I think this is a really good time, personally. I think this, this would be the second best time in my mind. <laughs> Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, this is great, Zane. I mean, once again, you've got full control of it. I'm really impressed. Okay, well, Carter, I'm really thank you. impressed for that the blinding, entire thing. blinding insight. Uh, Carter, okay, I think there's a few things on the board here that I find interesting. So number one is this broader concept of doing it differently. We talk about this in the political realm often, you know, political parties are machines that are that are designed to win elections. That's it. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't try to do it differently with that machinery, right? That is what the machine should be set up for. Um, It's an interesting parallel with what we've seen here. Interesting conversations on like, you know, leadership. On, yep. on individual leaders driving the, the 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 sort of narrative. I think we got into a nice little deep dive where we got to explore Corey's mind a bit on, on the future of capitalism as it relates to the left. Um, <laughs> but I want to come it's back good. to yeah. I want to come back to governance, Carter. And yep. like we've talked quite a bit about boards on the political party side, mainly because of Take Back Alberta. Uh, here in the in the last little bit, we've talked about boards, and I think we did a deep dive on 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 non, uh, on on political boards uh, a couple of years back. But what parallels do you see about over or underestimating board either role, competency, or power that this example kind of portrays? And just to lay it out there for people, because Corey did, this was a very strange board. It's a it's a group of folks that are you know looking after the purse holders, so to speak, um, of. A $90 billion company that is designed with a nonprofit board. So people who don't have shares, don't have equity. So design like any nonprofit board. Think of your local Y, which by the way, I sit on the board of, right? I do not get upside in the Y. Why would I? It's a nonprofit that doesn't work that way, right? I don't know if these board directors got paid, but I suspect there was very little, you know, sort of upside for them, even on a financial basis beyond and outside of the shares. Um, 
Um, so they're doing this out of their goodwill, their generosity, maybe their relationship to the CEO or other folks in the broader tech community. None of the VCs or, or, or funding partners that you had um, funding OpenAI's growth were sitting on this board or had access to that information or were involved in the decision to let go of the CEO. So I, I want to just add some of the context there. But really, Carter, I'm talking about power and influence of boards. What lessons or, or sort of parallels do you see between politics and what we saw go down this weekend with this uh, with this really bizarre story. Well, I think the cult of leadership. I think that you know the 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 individual that uh, is seen to be the power behind the organization is becoming or or maybe always was more important than the boards and things along those lines. I mean, there's there's countless examples of companies that are publicly traded that are controlled by a small group of shareholders um, because. Uh, the yes. power of the founder or the power of the organize, you know, the, or the, the primary that, that, that person uh, or the, the, the family or whatever. I mean, I, we all watch succession. We all understand this, um, that, that, you know, that whether it's set up formally so that they have control or whether their control is seen to be almost mythical. Um, this was just an example of high levels of control within an organization uh, that, wasn't perceived by the people who thought they had power. So the board of directors on paper had the power to fire Sam Altman. Um, turns out, and they, I, and think, they did. I think by the end of this story, it's it's at the end of this story, I don't think they're going to have had, they may have had the power to fire him, but they're not going to have the power to keep him fired. It, it is interesting, Corey, because there's oh, a lot of conversation. Carter prediction. Yeah, yeah that's, that's it's another it Carter prediction. Carter I prediction. wish we had the... I wish we had the stinger for it, Corey. I mean, a couple of things. Number one, Stewie Husseini would have never let this happen. Okay, you know that, Carter, Stewie, right? Stewie, Stewie would have. Stewie's always interested in the profit motive. That's all he cared he's about. He's always interested. I mean, he he would have done maybe a couple of lines with Kendall, but and outside of that, coke. he would have been yeah. like, Kendall, I'm going to fuck you in a bit. And that's what's going to end up happening, okay? Um, Stewie. Which is how we character. treat the podcast, right? Like, can I can I say like because you opened up this succession bracket here? Yeah, okay. I I was wondering about this too. So you remember in the two thousands when all of a sudden everybody in politics thought they were working in the West Wing? Yes. Yeah. Do you kind of feel like part of what's going on right now is everybody in corporate America thinks they're in succession? Yeah, that could like, be. This maybe because this is pretty ridiculous shit. Like oh, we're going to fuck them and we're going to surprise them with this and no one's going to see it. Like, this let, is not the way these this. things if are supposed to If my nonprofit board were somehow found itself, and I'm not talking about any of the particular ones, I said on a couple, but, but like, sure. I'm, not, I'm not trying to target any one of them. But if those people found themselves in a situation where we're raising, we have a $90 billion market capitalization, we fire the CEO uh, without investigation, without maybe even realizing the fact that his next move might be to either sue us to start his own company for not yeah. sharing information, end quote, quote unquote. I mean, it seems like some people here were playing checkers and maybe they didn't have the skill to play chess sort of thing. And I'm not criticizing. <laughs> They're not even playing checkers. I'm not They're even criticizing. The with their and I'm not, dumb, meaty hands. I'm the, well, it's like ridiculous. Well, talk to me then, Corey, about power here, right? Because to, to their part, they got to do this. And in politics, we often kind of look at the board as like a, as, a, as an aside outside of the flashpoints of like take back Alberta. And this was like a couple of weeks ago, right? So it's fresh in our minds. They took over the board. Great. We'll forget about this in a couple of months. And then boom, they have an ability to do something. They ousted Kenny. They organized House Kenny. Now, of course, that was less bored, more organizing. But, you know, there, there are these sort of moments where we forget their ability, despite their competence, 
to do certain things. Right. And I think that's such an interesting dynamic that we have in this era of cult of leadership, where it's like, it's Trudeau, or it's Pierre, or it's Danielle, and it's all these people. But there's this board, regardless of what you think of their size, their competence, their makeup, how they got there, that controls some very important aspects of the current ecosystem that we find, whether it's in business or in politics. Well, it's a great point. And, you know, it doesn't matter what Actually, I think political boards are are the perfect jumping off point for this, right? Because on paper, the board of a political party has a ton of authority. In practice, the board of a political party does not, right? Like on a day-to-day basis, they simply don't, right? And it's true, I think, of organizations big and small, political and non-political, corporate, non-profit, whatever. It, It actually only matters a little what's on the paper. You only have the power to do the things it says you can have on the paper if everybody's going to let you do them. Like if all Mm -hmm. of the stakeholders around are going to allow that to occur. And here, there were some very powerful stakeholder groups who clearly were disinterested in the board's decision, you know, Mm -hmm. and and let's be clear, the board was set up to be worried about the safety of AI. Sam Altman himself regularly talked about how this was the board's purpose, which made it unique. And he himself was accountable to this board and this board could fire him, right? But there were funders. There, you know, the the valuation hadn't gone through, but there was estimates of eighty billion U.S. That's a lot of money in Canadian coin here, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, there was also the reality that Microsoft had had put in, you know, thirteen billion dollars in, in counting for forty nine percent. Microsoft, a massive company, one of the world's largest by almost any measure you can imagine, had been tooling their entire business towards tools that were created by OpenAI, right? Mm -hmm, Like this mm -hmm. was not like some sort of idle fling for them. This was becoming core to their business. That's a kind of power that actually even exceeds the 13 billion that's on the paper there, right? Especially when you think about a town like Silicon Valley and all of the things that are going on. The employees were, it sounds like, you know, not to the person, obviously, since, you know, uh, Ilya Sutskever there was one of the people who was going against Sam yeah, Altman, yeah. but like the employees seem to have been with Sam Altman here. So this this board seems insanely isolated. You know, the, I can only imagine a conversation where there's four board members sitting there and saying, "Well, on paper we're allowed to do this," and, and on paper and the they dotted talk line. To anybody. Well, on paper the dotted line and the conditionality of terminating a CEO probably existed. Right. They're like, if X leads to Y, then like, you know, like, oh, my goodness, like that's a fireable offense in like its most one dimensional term. Yeah, but it's, you know, but, I, you know, I have I, we don't know the details here, totally. but I'm trying to imagine like there might for a situation like this to occur in a normal, healthy organization. And I will say you can be a normal, healthy organization that has to fire its CEO for a situation to occur like this in a normal, healthy organization. There would be kind of like months of conversations, critical feedback from the board saying, we're not getting what we need from you here. There would be mediation. There would be people brought in. There would be conversations with the funders, you know, to make sure that there was comfort with it. There would be kind of a seasoning of the employees to allow them to at least see some of these things coming and not have them come out of the blue like this and just rock their world on a random Friday. And none of that seems to have happened. None of that seems to have happened. Carter, do you, well, what's the parallel you see between the world we often talk about, operate in, in politics? And Corey's point here around the power on paper 
versus the actual exercising authorities. You've probably witnessed this in your own right, having seen political boards. So, you know, maybe I kind of go down to a baseline question based on your answer around like, are we overestimating and and, uh, overcrediting the value that some of these political boards might have? I mean, I look at the power of a cabinet. The power of a cabinet is so weak right now. It is probably the weakest it's ever been. Um, you know, I just finished reading uh, a book about um, Churchill and the and uh, you know World War Two and the and the cabinets backs and forth and the the challenges that that Churchill was having with Lord Halifax during the first month of his of his uh, you know prime ministership and and. I don't think any of that would exist in today's society. In today's society, it is uh, get on board with the prime minister, or get the fuck out of here. And I think that you know th- there are responsible roles and response. The diffusion of responsibility isn't necessarily a bad thing. Having people be responsible for different pieces of oversight is probably pretty good. In politics, we've all but given it up. We've 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 said to Justin Trudeau, you're in charge of the liberals, you're now in charge of the government, you're in charge of your cabinet. You know, people forget that the liberals aren't the government, the cabinet's the government. The prime minister's not the dictator. The gab- the cabinet the cabinet's supposed to be running the government. The prime minister's just the first minister. But in today's society, we've given that away, and we've gone with this cult of, you know, cult of personality, and uh, because I don't know if it was easier or or what, but even when you compare it to the American frame, right? The American frame that these people were never going to, you know, the president would never campaign; they would never debase themselves that way, and that didn't last because the president there was power to be had, and the moment there's power to be had, people are going to act to get it. And, you know, in today's society, that means that they are acting to get it um, from their colleagues within within their own caucuses and the the board of directors, if you will, the cabinet that's supposed to be running our country um, has now been reduced to a couple of mandate letters and, uh, you know, lining up to meet with the chief of staff to the to the first minister. That's interesting. Carter taking my interpretation of political boards in a different direction, but I like it around cabinets, so to speak, and and, and their influence. Corey, final thoughts for you and, and weave this question in. Are we gonna see more of this? And let me define this. This being companies that have that that continued social mission that sort of lathers on even heavier than we're seeing before. For for profit companies cased with the nonprofits, kind of like we've seen we hear with, with Sam Altman and others, this sort of general movement of wearing your politics where Wearing your advocacy, your social mission on your capitalist sleeve. Do you feel like that era is coming to an end? Do you feel like your sort of thinking around like let it be in, in its more defined box is coming to kind of back into into vogue? I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on this, both from your strategist perspective and also sort of your 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 business hat, so to speak, as well. I mean, maybe we're at a it's time to call bullshit moment here. Because if you have a situation where a board which in theory has all of the powers to do exactly what they did for exactly the purpose they did it, right? The entire purpose of the board was to set up to make sure AI was being created in a safe way. That's the entire reason this organization exists. Yep. And this was the decision they made, that they were no longer comfortable with the communication they were getting and that AI was being created in a safe way with all of these launch of commercial products being rushed to market. That's what the reporting is, again, as of like, well, now 950 or whatever. Uh, mountain time here. 
but this is not this is hardly unique. I mean, it is such an extreme manifestation and the fact that they can't even hold when all of those conditions favor them should make us really question a lot of the other initiatives we see out there, CSR initiatives in corporations that maybe don't actually care that much about CSR. DEI initiatives in organizations that seem to only be giving lip service to DEI. Like it does seem when the rubber hits the road, do these things actually matter to these private corporations? I think you yeah. need I think you need stronger regulation because it's becoming incredibly clear through this and other case studies that exist all over the place that relying on goodwill of a corporation which is an organization that is just geared entirely towards creating profit. It's just kind of a shitty idea. Like it's just, it's a foolish idea. And so, you know, I'm not a big, like regulate everybody to death kind of guy, but I think we need to be very thoughtful and very purposeful and be willing to regulate where it makes sense to regulate, to set a floor that we insist on as a society. Each, each one of these corporations has their own rules and regulations in their policies. They, you know, it's not like they allow their own cor- their own uh, staff to just run roughshod through the organization. There are rules and regulations within the corporations to protect the corporation. There should be rules and regulations um, that are put in place to protect society. That's that's just common sense. But we've we've moved away from it too much, and we're when we're asking these corporations to to do that work themselves, and they're not going to do it. They're not going to put in the rules that we need. I was I was going to spend the rest of the time on Preston Manning's report. So, um, but now Corey's opened up something that I think is way more interesting. So, how about There's I do more this, time? Uh, Carter? How long Car- is this, Carter? Carter, Carter this is a three-hour. Uh, hey, uh, Carter, very quickly, Preston Manning's report. Give me your one-word answer, so then I can go back to the topic Corey brought up. What, uh, what do you think? The next, the next horror for uh, for Alberta is Preston Manning. Oh, Yay! well, thank you, Corey. Uh, any any quick comments on that before uh, before I go back to the way more interesting question you've just put I, on there? I, I mean. Utterly expected. Perfect. Great. So that segment's done. Um, Corey, you mentioned DEI. Can I talk to you about that for a second? Would you be comfortable talking sure. about that for half a second? I mean, absolutely. Would you have that also be regulated? Like, do you not feel like the, I shouldn't say the the, the, the generosity, but do you not feel like the, the actual market forces of employees wanting to go to a place that has these policies, um, that has this environment, that has these sort of things? Like, and the reason I ask is there is a political backdrop here. DEI in the United States is at, as, as, at an assault. We've seen it here a bit with the UCP, right? With, with kind of mentioning some of their institutions. But in the United States, we're seeing this as part of the anti woke movement it's being you know put into it i'm kind of curious how you would think about this as it relates to your premise of like smart regulation against corporations because at at some point you might be arguing for not giving them any not even room but any incentive to do anything voluntarily even if it could have net positive benefits to society and i think dei might be in that category yeah so let me be really clear and, and i'll work backwards on your points here you set a floor. There will still be corporations that exceed the floor. There will always be corporations that allow you, especially nowadays, like it's becoming so much more the case that you pick these brands because they represent who you are. And if you want to represent yeah, who yeah. you are in a certain light, there will be people who go above and beyond. My point is, if you expect the floor to be something that everybody just kind of accept, you know, if you want a floor that's above the regulatory floor, you're kidding yourself. That's never going to happen. These things are not going to just occur. And so you've got to accept that and you've got to set the floor where the floor has got to be set. And that's a societal conversation that we can have. When I talk about things like DEI, right, and where I question perhaps some corporations' overall commitment to them, 
the reality is there are corporations right now who are backing away from those initiatives mm-hmm, where, mm-hmm. you know, all white male boards, you know, despite being large publicly traded corporations. And, you know, I just question whether, like, if we've got a problem with that, then I think we got to do something about that. We can't just sort of assume that some corporation's going to do this because it's in the goodness of their heart. Now, do you want to go there? Do you not want to go there? That's an interesting policy conversation. I, for sure, am um, interested in entertaining. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that it's like the next big thing that everybody's got to go on here. My point is simply this. If in open AI situation where they are set up and this is their mandate and this is their structure and everything around them is built around the idea they are going to do this one thing, but that one thing got in the way of some people's profit and they dropped the one thing, how much confidence do you have in people making these things happen anywhere else under any other set of circumstances here? So if you want to make sure that corporations are inclusive, you're going to have to set some rules around inclusivity. If you want to make sure corporations are representative, you're going to have to set some rules around representation. You cannot just allow kind of like this, this march of history, like, you know, progress is, progress is not going to just take over this for you. You've got to actually step in there and set some guidelines. Carter, your your, th- your thoughts on this, especially around DE and I, I'm kind of curious if you've got any thoughts. So we've seen the assault from a pure political basis happen in the U.S. We see it creeping in here. There's an argument that is being made by the right and certainly some members of the center left. Let's be honest. That's saying that we went too fast, too hard on DE and I. That it felt like it was being forced down to people. That it was trying yeah. to be a, a conversation. That we were trying to compress what we hadn't done in the last 50 years in a matter of a couple of years post 2020. There's that loud criticism that you hear, even with people who consider themselves, quote unquote, allies. Your thoughts on this as it kind of enters this broader sort of smart regulation conversation. Go ahead, white guys. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. uh, Corey, the the, the other white guy wants to speak uh, more. He's got his thoughts. No, here's here's the thing. You know, I I, I think that our society is so um, perversely out of step with, with equality that there is no other choice but to say, we are going to regulate this. Um, you know, every, it, there has been no recognition of systemic racism. There's been no recognition of s- systemic sexism. There's been no recognition uh, of issues that plague us and will will continue to haunt us uh, through. You know, it's no, it's not lost on me that a lot of these companies that are ab- absolutely spectacularly successful formed, you know, by immigrants, put together by people who are coming from the quote-unquote outside. Um, you know, I, I think that the 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 story of inclusion, the story of, of uh, you know, welcoming and, and allowing people to succeed is so perverted in North America, especially. Um, you know, you, you, you have families that, that, that have seen poverty their entire lives reaching back to slavery. And this idea that we're just going to solve it one day just by saying, well, we hope it will work itself out. It's not going to work itself out. You, we have to regulate. We have to push for it. And when someone says, well, you know, we don't need uh, uh, this type of thing because look uh, over here where we've done, you know, Elon Musk is, is succeeding and he's an immigrant. Um, you know, it's just not going to be good enough. You have to, we have to regulate certain things if society is going to get better. Uh, because asking human beings in all our fallibility to to do that work, to make things better on their own, it's just going to fail because we don't have, we're just not, we're not good enough. So let's, let's recognize our fallibility and 
uh, do what's right. I don't understand why the big deal. I mean, you know, immigration has been our great, our great superpower uh, that comes with this enormous weakness of racism and fixing that leveling the playing field um, just makes everybody stronger. Now, individuals might lose out. Individuals will probably lose out. But society gets stronger sometimes. And it's about society that government and, and all of us need to be focused on. Corey, you got thoughts on this? I, I got lots of, of thoughts here. You know, so I should say that there are studies that show that diverse boards have economic benefit, right? They're right. less likely to have these blind spots. You could imagine if OpenAI had a board that was diverse in ways, maybe maybe not ethnic, maybe not cultural, but had different viewpoints, it wouldn't have made some of the mistakes it made. You don't want boards to be kind of monochromatic in any sense, right? They, they should be taking in interests and viewpoints from uh, all sorts of different ways, right? Diverse boards tend to do better. Um, however, boards don't tend to naturally want to go there for, for, you know, reasons tend to do more of like a click nature and, and whatnot, right? There are other initiatives of DEI where the economic benefit to a corporation is less obvious, like creating scholarships for employees for DEI and, and things of that. And I think those are the things that are most particularly at threat. We're going to leave that segment there, Carter. Move it on to our final segment, our over under in our lightning round. Oh, thank God. I didn't get canceled. This is a Steve great Carter, day for me. That's that's kind of an after the... Oh, okay. Yeah, like we we don't... Yeah, we'll yeah see. Carter, no, that's, okay. it's fine. We, it's, it's, yeah, it's not. Once again, this is a reminder for the... I don't know how many how many times we've had to remind Carter. Um, this is not uh, live on air, Carter. This is not one of the... <laughs> oh. We lost the radio gig a long time ago after you, you dressed down that Remember producer. you guys when we used to do uh, live television? <laughs> yeah that I was still, a lived uh, pleasure I still, do, I still do it weekly multiple times you know it's good yeah i don't anymore i don't know why uh we do okay yeah 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 we do okay good. yeah we do thanks yeah, guys yeah you you were fired thanks very helpful very helpful Corey. <laughs> hey carter do you um are you are you in or out on the michael on michael violence that we're now seeing as reported by fife and chase in in the globe and mail so uh we're seeing that michael spavor is blaming his fellow prisoner, Michael Kovac, for Chinese detention, alleging that he was used for intelligence gathering. This is quite the story. I've been, you know, as much as uh, this is this episode has been in service of Corey Hogan's obsession of Sam Altman and OpenAI this weekend, uh, the story I've been following is the Michael on Michael violence. Carter, I've got no question other than to say, are you in or out on it for the pure drama that this is producing? I'm out. Uh, it seems to me that China was the one who was actually holding them. Okay, well, Cor- Corey Carter's no fun. Are you in or out yeah. on this, on this Sorry, particular yeah. uh, Canadian on Canadian uh, foreign drama that we're that we're now seeing? It's, it's the greatest. I, I'm entirely in on it. I can't wait to see who gets dragged into it next. Here, <gasps> I love that Global Affairs Canada already had to say something. They thought it would be like it's yeah, um, this, is, this is not yeah, exactly. So I'm the it's only grown up in the room. Suddenly, yeah. I'm yeah, the no grown Carter, up in the room. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. What you, is going on? Uh, Corey, is this a good time to tell Carter that the board of the Strategist Media Corporation is now letting him go? Is this a is this an appropriate time? <laughs> well, uh, we'll get we'll get Annalise on to read the statement too. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. She'll she'll do it. Uh, she'll do it. Uh, Carter, you just don't fit our DEI policy anymore. I'm really that's sorry. Fine. I've just, been expecting just, it. I've been expecting uh, it. I'm tired anyways. These shows go too long now. I'm looking for a snooze. I'm tired. I want to go bed. I've got I've got one more question for both of you. I'm not going to make this a long over under lightning round, Corey. 
Christian Freeland is ready and set to represent the fall fiscal update Tuesday. Uh, we're hearing through leaks, as we often do, that this is going to talk a lot about the cost of living. Um, this is going to also maybe potentially have some crackdowns for short-term rentals like Airbnb. We're hearing those sort of stories come out, um, at least in the media ahead of Tuesday. Any advice you'd have for Krista Freeland as, as she puts out this this fiscal update, she puts out this broader story that the government is trying to paint regarding the, 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 the country's finances, the economy. What advice would you have for her? Carter, same question coming to you in a moment. Well, you know, when you put out a fiscal update, there are a lot of communications documents that go with it. And if you don't have the communications chops, you can head over to canva.com and use promo code DAVE45 to develop all of the materials you need to support your fiscal update. That was really good. Uh, and then once again, really that, that domain is canva.me. Uh, canva.me. Oh, it's canva.me. Okay. Canva. That's why you do slash, the reads usually. Slash day 45. I mean, listen, tell you something. Okay. Like, I mean, Ramadan's coming up. And if you need to make cards Ramadan for Ramadan, poster. yeah, Ramadan yep. posters, you could do that. <laughs> uh, if you believe in something else, you can also make Ramadan content. You can take content. a Ramadan poster. <laughs> you can also make Ramadan could, uh, content. You could, <laughs> yeah. you, you could modify it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, honestly, I don't know. I don't. I. I think when you think about this fiscal update, it's hard to imagine anything that's going to change the macro narratives that are kicking around right now. It would have to be one hell of a shift. And and the very fact that it is about cost of living is ultimately, well, it has to be done because that's such a top issue for Canadians. You've been government since 2015. You're wearing a lot of cost of living. This is this is kind of defensive ball. Carter, any, any advice you'd... Any advice, Carter, any advice you'd have for, for Christopher Freeland as she... Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, Carter. I mean, yes, any advice you'd give? The the hard, the hard thing for me is, I mean, I get why they're going after Airbnb, I mean, and uh, short-term rentals. I understand that. But it's a service that Canadians like and understand and, and, and want to use. Um, I understand kind of the the idea that, you know, the there are... Real term, real real world consequences for taking inventory out of long term rentals, um, but I I would propose that coming after them with uh, regulation isn't necessarily the way to go after it. I would probably recommend at least taking a look at going after this with uh, some sweeteners. You know, the good old fashioned send checks to Canadians. Uh, I'm becoming apparently less fiscally conservative every day. Corey, um, final question for you. Do you think anyone uh, liked this episode? Uh, we did. Uh, I did. Yeah, it was yeah. great. It's all that matters. There's a little bit too much Zane Velji content for me, but otherwise it was pretty I good, like I the thought. Zane stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, nice. It's nice. It's fine. You can, you, can, you can give your review afterwards on our WhatsApp chat. We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 1269 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.